0: Brothers and sisters, we come now to um, a time in which we would uh, pray for the Holy Spirit to fully open the Word of God to us in terms of our message. Our message this morning is Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. Follow along with me as I read this passage. And they, meaning Jesus and the disciples, were on the road going up to Jerusalem, And flog him and kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Again, our Father, we seek the ministry of your Spirit to direct us and to guide us and to the truth that is your word. We pray that we might have as much as we are able to receive a full understanding of what Jesus says here and what Mark has recorded, uh, that we might, in feeding upon your word and receiving it into our hearts and lives, uh, become those who Truly and rightly reflect what it means to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. Father, we pray this because we know that you have called us unto yourself with eternal purposes in mind and with temporal responsibility before us to show in every way that we are your disciples by the manner in which we follow the Lord Jesus. And so we do pray for that this morning as we consider your word. In Christ's name, amen. Now, all of you know that Palm Sunday, which is what we're celebrating today, begins the last week of the earthly life of Christ. It is a week that begins uh, with Christ receiving his highest acclaim, uh, his greatest degree of popularity ever, in the span of his three-and-a-half-year earthly ministry. But it is a week in which, day by day, uh, the conflict that Jesus has with the Jewish leadership and the hatred that the Jewish leadership have for Christ intensifies greatly. Because Christ comes, he cleanses the temple, and he teaches in such an open way uh, that it exposes the spiritual toxicity of, of the Jewish religious leaders. And of course, this all leads, uh, as the week progresses, to Christ being betrayed by one of his own disciples, Judas Iscariot. It leads to his arrest uh, that Thursday night in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the early morning trials before the Sanhedrin, and then Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and then the verdict to the leaders and the people when they cry out against Christ, that Pontius Pilate should crucify him. Now, what lay behind this conflict, ultimately, was the evil desire for power, the awful will to power, Uh, even that with which Satan tempted our first parents when he deceitfully offered to them the greatest possible power, that they might be like God. The Gospel record records that the Jewish leaders feared that somehow Christ would use his powers to take away their own. And they used that power angle with the Roman governor, accusing Jesus of claiming to be a king, a rival power to that of Caesar in Rome. Ultimately, this is why Pontius Pilate himself had the sign posted at the top of the cross over the head of Jesus to read in three different languages, uh, in the Italian for the Romans, uh, in the Aramaic for the Jews, and in the Greek for the, for the common people. Reading this way, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. But in any, in any case, what we see here is that the Jewish and the Gentile leaders conspired against Jesus to put him to death because Christ was found to be a threat to their power. And for human beings to put to death the only perfect human being who ever lived, Jesus himself, proves how this will to power, the will to dominate, the will to rule over others, is an insidiously great evil within the human heart. It is so aptly described by Lord Acton when he said, Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. So let's connect this Palm Sunday and Passion Week perspective to what we find here in this part of Mark's gospel about the disciples. Because this story is also about the will to power, the evil human desire to have the prestige and position of being in power. And it's also important to note that this story takes place on the way to Jerusalem just a few days before Palm Sunday. Remember as well who James and John, the sons of Zebedee, happened to be. Along with Peter and Andrew, they are among the first four men that Christ called to be his disciples. And they are, as the story tells us, anticipating that something's going to happen, something even great that's going to happen during this Passover week with respect to Jesus and the kingdom. And in spite of what Jesus says about the arrest, the flogging, the death, and so forth, uh, they seem to be oblivious to this perspective. And they seize upon this opportunity here as they're heading to Jerusalem uh, to bring this request they have that they might have the top positions and the kingdom of power at the right hand of Christ, really the right and left hands of Christ. It's also interesting to note what Matthew adds to this, that it was their mother who actually came with them and first made this request on their behalf. Now, this whole scene, even though the gospel writers are quite sparse in their details, this whole scene unveils for us the will to power. Yet it also sets the stage for Jesus to declare the essential purpose of his coming. Now, that purpose led to the Friday crucifixion. And that crucifixion is what we know as the ransom that Christ paid for the salvation of all those who would trust in him. But it was not only the ransom that was his purpose. Jesus teaches that the giving of his life was also to be a pattern for all of those who would call Christ their Lord, and their Savior. And that's what I want us to consider this morning in some detail. I want us to see that in this passage, we not only see that Christ proclaims the purpose of his calling, but in that purpose, he sets out the pattern that is placed upon us or placed before us to live as Christians, those who would confidently confess Christ as Savior and Lord. The purpose of Christ's coming and a pattern that is placed upon us, who are believers. Now we can sum this up around three particular words, mandate, motive, and meaning, which is to say, Jesus states the mandate for his ransom, uh, the motive that underlies his ransom, and the meaning of his ransom, while at the same time he is addressing and rejecting the will to power, and establishing for us a pattern that we are to live as Christians. Now to begin with this mandate for the ransom. In a negative sense, the mandate for the ransom to be paid by Christ is illustrated deeply by the requests that James and John make for positions of power. When Calvin comments upon this episode, he says that here we find, quote, a mirror of human vanity. In other words, at the heart of human vanity is this will to power. We can honestly say that fallen human nature hungers and thirsts for this power over other people. And this sad feature of our broken humanity shows up in the request then that James and John make themselves, and then in the reaction of the rest of the disciples. So verse 37, notice the request. We can call what James and John are asking, uh, what they're seeking is what, well, let's call it a special consideration. Uh, that is to say they want to sit at the right and left hands of Jesus in his glory, these preeminent possession, positions of power. But they're not asking how they might have those positions in terms of earning them. They're not asking how they might become worthy of these positions they simply want Jesus to grant them whether they're worthy or not uh, they want these positions of great power uh, to come to them from Jesus simply by virtue of Jesus and his power granting them not into, not according to whether it's morally right and morally just that they should have them and that's the meaning of special consideration They wanted Jesus to show a particular partiality towards them. But this meant that Jesus would have to deny to the other disciples that which they were seeking for themselves. After all, Jesus only has one right hand and one left hand. They were speaking, they were seeking special favors. What's important is to recognize That they didn't see themselves as being morally corrupt in doing so. They didn't see themselves as plotting any kind of evil. They didn't see their actions as necessarily offensive to the rest of their fellow disciples. And that is where the huge flag ought to be raised. The will to power blinds human beings to their own Moral corruption. But then consider the reaction of the other disciples. When the ten heard about this, we see in verse 41, they became indignant. Now, in the Greek, this is a fairly strong word. We could put it this way. They were royally ticked off. Yet, in their reaction, we need to perceive something of why they were so upset. Picture it more or less along these lines. we are just as worthy as as James and John. What right did they have to try to put themselves to the front of the line, so to speak, and and ask to have first place? So we easily recognize that the indignation on the part of the ten was fueled by their own envy. They were envious of the power that Jesus might grant to James and John. They were envious because in the corruption of human nature, our natures do not like others to have things that we think we are just as worthy of possessing but don't have. And of course, right there, in the background of their own envy, is their own will to power. The ten felt they were just as worthy of of the right hand and the left hand positions of Christ. And they hungered for this just as much. And that is why they were so indignant. Now, we need to give this a moment's reflection. What we see in the disciples, the two and the 10, is typical of human nature, and it's typical of human beings it flows out of the greatest of all human faults, and that is human pride. We operate we operate by this sadly misguided conviction that we deserve to get better treatment than we're actually getting even from God. If others get something better from our perspective, we feel immediately cheated. We feel that that should have been ours. Now, this vanity that possesses us and our nature declares to us this truth. Truly, we are separated from God because we don't see the truth about ourselves. We don't see how self-serving all of this kind of thinking happens to be. We clearly do not see ourselves as God sees us. And that is the basis for the mandate Of the ransom of Christ It's the fallen human nature We are by nature Fallen in Adam Dead in our trespasses and sins Following the course of this world Following the prince of the power of the air As sons of disobedience As children of wrath We are without hope Without God in the world That's our very nature And we are possessed and consumed By a will to power And the divine judgment On human sin is this That the wages of this sin the wages of all sin is death, which leads to the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. And because God Himself is of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look upon wrong, as Habakkuk declares, and since God is the one who by no means will clear clear guilty, as God himself declares to Moses, God cannot simply overlook and forgive sin apart from sin itself being punished and God's own justice being satisfied. Therefore, in order for anyone to be saved from sin, in order for any of us to be rescued from this will to power, a ransom must be paid that will atone for all of our sinfulness while it, at the same time satisfies the justice of a holy and righteous God. Now, that leads us to think about the motivation for the ransom. And so we turn to verse 45, because Jesus there says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, in this, Jesus states his motivation for the ransom that he offers. And he does so by making first a denial and then an affirmation. Now, what Jesus denies, essentially, uh, in the sense of setting something aside, is in fact the legitimate claim that Christ had upon all people. Christ intrinsically, by his very nature, has the right to be served by all creatures everywhere. It's his It was his natural right as the Son of God that every knee should bow to him. It was his natural right that every person should recognize his kingship and surrender to him in active service to him. And that was just as much true at his first coming as it is at his second coming. Jesus knew this, and Jesus could have expected this because he knew who he was. Uh, Christ understood, knew, remembered, perceived clearly all of his former life and glory. Uh, He could remember how in heaven, before coming to earth, he had been richly and wonderfully served by all of the hosts of heaven. By his natural rights, Jesus could have come into this world to be served. But that's what Jesus denies. The Son of Man did not come to be served. His motivation in coming into this world was not to be served. But then Jesus affirms. He affirms why he came. He affirms that he came to serve. And that service would be the giving of his life as a ransom for many. And by saying this, Christ was declaring the central point of his incarnation, that Jesus willingly became man in order to serve us by dying. It was the will of Christ to do so. It was the motivation of Christ to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, Jesus himself makes this very clear in the Gospel of John in chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, when he's he's declaring to his disciples, for this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. So the motivation behind the ransom is Christ's own willingness to come and to serve those who need his salvation. But also consider what Jesus establishes in his motivation to serve. In no uncertain terms, Jesus countermands and overturns the will to power. The will to power is incompatible with the character of those who would follow him. In the place of the will to power, Jesus establishes the will to serve. And we can see this and how Jesus responds to James and John and to the rest of the disciples. So backing up in the passage to verses 42 to verse 44, Jesus calls the disciples to himself, and he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. And whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Now what Christ does here is he separates completely godly leadership in the church from the will to power. He totally separates them and what he brings together is godly leadership and the will to serve and to reinforce this message just a few days later uh, the night in which he's betrayed uh, during the time of the of the uh, the supper that Jesus is having with his disciples he performs an action of great symbolic significance to make this very clear, the godly leadership must reject the will to power and embrace the will to serve. We read about this in John chapter 13. Reading verses four and five in that chapter, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In verses 12 and 15. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Now, in the biblical world of Jesus' day, this this washing of feet was an act of hospitality. Uh, When visitors and guests would come to your house, uh, their feet would be washed. But it was never performed by the host. It was something that a servant would do. Now, it was something that definitely would honor the visitors and the guest, but it was beneath the dignity of the host to ever do this himself. It was a servant's job, it was a menial task, because it required the person who was going to do this to get down on his hands and knees before the other person to lower himself, to set aside his own dignity in order to be able to perform this service. You see, the washing of feet stands, or not standing at all, It, it bowed down. It, it's a bowing down and complete opposite to the position of power and rank and authority. It is the ultimate opposite. And Jesus was saying to them, if I, as your Lord and teacher, have done this, you also must do as I have done. In other words, what Jesus established in revealing his motivation for his ransom was this. To follow Jesus. To live the Christian life truly, authentically. Authentically. Believers must reject the will to power and embrace and adopt the will to serve. What motivated Christ to provide His ransom for many was His will to serve, to take the to take on the very form of a bondservant, to humble Himself to the very point of death, even death upon a cross. And the example of that pattern becomes the pattern by which we, too, must live. Now, finally, then, the meaning of the ransom itself. Jesus said that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, there are several New Testament words, nouns, and verbs, and synonyms that are all related to this key idea of ransom, which is a purchase or a payment that is made that liberates or sets someone free. In other words, very simply, it's deliverance by a payment. And this payment is normally called a ransom. And it was the kind of thing, for instance, in that ancient world, a slave could be redeemed. He could be set free by the payment of a ransom price. And the death of Jesus... His sacrifice upon the cross is most frequently described as a ransom. The work of the cross is said to purchase those for whom Jesus dies. So Ephesians 1.7, in Christ we have redemption through his blood. And Colossians 1.13 and 14, God's beloved son in whom we have redemption. Romans 3.24, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 9, 12, Christ entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. 1 Peter 1, 18, 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. First, Timothy 2, 5 and 6, there was one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And then that passage we have already seen this morning, Revelation 5, verse 9, where Christ has spoken of this way, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Now when we take all of these statements together about Jesus giving his life as a ransom, we actually see those essential truths are what were foretold by the prophet Isaiah about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53. And please open to that passage if you would. There we have it foretold that the suffering servant, even Jesus Christ, would in fact offer his life as a ransom for many. First of all, we see that the life that he would give would be uh, that of suffering, the penalty for their sin, even as the wages of sin is death, Isaiah fifty three six declares that the Lord has laid upon him, meaning Jesus, the suffering servant, the iniquity of us all. Further, uh, the ransom that he would die, that death would be a sacrificial sin and guilt offering. In verse ten, Isaiah speaks of Christ as offering up his very life as an offering for guilt in order to expiate and remove the guilt of sin. Uh, bringing about that pardon for sin and peace with God, as he had already said in verse five, upon Christ was the chastisement that brought us peace and by his stripes we were healed. And then thirdly, the ransom payment in the death of Christ was clearly a substitute For sinners, a payment on behalf of the many, as Isaiah foretold in verse 12, that Christ poured out his soul, his very life to death, and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many. And this is the meaning of the ransom. That which Christ accomplished was for the release of captives those held captive to sin. And those who would be released would be those who would place their faith and trust in Jesus in order to receive from him everlasting life. But not just everlasting life, a pattern as well in terms of how to live. So let's return to the beginning. We began with the recognition that In this last week of the life of Christ, Jesus exposed the religious toxicity of the Jewish leadership. And as he did so, increasingly during this week, he was a tremendous threat to their power. And in response, and in turn, they sought to protect their power by using that power to have Christ crucified. But nevertheless... Christ did not die contrary to his own will. But rather, in the midst of all of this, Jesus was willingly laying down his life as a ransom for many. This was the very purpose of his coming. Christ fully embraced the will to serve. But it was also his purpose to set forth for us the very pattern of the lives of those who would follow him. Christ among us as one who serves. Christ, the example that all of us must follow. We too must reject the will to power. We must embrace the will to serve. Amen. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we would ask that all that Christ is and all that Christ has done would be the greatest treasure in our lives. That nothing would be more significant to us than the full gospel of what Christ has done. And we pray that we might see in the work of our Lord Jesus uh, the very reasons for why we would want to follow him and must follow him and must embrace what he embraced which is the will to serve our father we we pray that we might uh, truly understand the brokenness of the ways of the world and how fallen human beings uh, all seek the idolatry of trying to be their own God and that we would confess Christ as our Lord our Savior the one who came to serve and embracing Christ, we too would embrace that service that brings him glory. And so we pray father at this kind of uh, annual beginning of passion week that we might remember that the glory that Christ received on Palm Sunday was an ephemeral, and in, in many ways and worldly contrived glory that so quickly faded in the minds of hearts of people as they began to see that to truly follow Jesus would be a, to reject the way of power and to embrace the way of service lord the truest the truest test of whether we have been transformed comes down to rejecting the way of the world, embracing the way of Christ, seeking humbly to follow him. That's what we pray for, Father. May the Spirit of your Son work mightily within us that we would day by day, increasingly embrace the will to serve, to love others, to do them good, to bring glory to Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.